You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, uh, for the first three Sundays in Lent, we've been hearing about Jesus and his fighting against the demons. Uh, and, and this idea of spiritual warfare uh, from, from the very beginning, with, with Jesus uh, being attacked and then D- Jesus casting out the demons, it kind of reaches a climax in this week where Jesus comes uh, and casts out the demon from a man who is mute, uh, and, the, and his opponents uh, both accuse him of casting out demons by Beelzebub, and then also uh, they ask for another sign that Jesus would prove who he is. And Jesus tells the parable that a strong man, when he keeps his house, keeps his goods safe, uh, but then when a stronger one comes and he, he plunders the goods. Now that's what we heard on Sunday, uh, but the text goes on. In fact, I want to consider the, the end of the gospel text before we consider the, the text from Deuteronomy today because there's, there's three um, teachings in the gospel text and in, then in this text from Moses about the spiritual world that we don't see uh, in many places in the scripture. In fact, uh, it's one of the places where the, the realities of the hidden world are revealed to us. Now, the first thing we want to consider is that um, the way it is with the angels and especially the way it is with the demons can't be known to us. We, we can't see uh, how it is in the spiritual realm. That's because it's the spiritual realm. So that everything that we know about it has to be taught us in the Scripture. Everything we know about the demons, uh, about the angels, about their strategies, about their work, about their positions, all, it all has to be taught uh, by our Lord who created them and who knows all these things. So when Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the strong man, uh, he, he then... Um, uh, uh t- tells this story. And again, a number of you have asked me about th- this, even after church on Sunday and in the last few days, so it's good to think about. Jesus says, when the demon goes out of a person, it goes throughout the waterless places, looking for a place to rest. But finding none, it returns to the place from whence it left, that is, to the person that it was cast out of. And finding, Jesus says, the room empty and swept clean, he goes and he finds seven of his friends, and they all seven move in. And the, the picture of the man, the condition of the man, is worse than it was at the beginning. Now, pr- probably what Jesus is doing is he's criticizing the work of the Jewish evangelists. Remember how when they said, you cast out demons by Beelzebub, Jesus says, well, if I cast them out by Beelzebub, who do your sons cast them out by? They will be your witnesses. So that there were Jewish exorcists, men uh, trained up in the scriptures who were dealing specifically with people who were demonized. But here was the point. They were sending the demons away, but they were offering nothing in return. They, 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 didn't, they didn't have uh, the, the gift of the gospel. They didn't have the truth uh, of God's promise. They didn't have the forgiveness of sins or the Holy Spirit or the gift of baptism. So they would throw the demons out, but nothing would take their place. So the demons would find the the person's conscience and the person's heart, an even more desirable place to be when they would return. Jesus would teach that for the Christian, when we're dealing with the demons, it is not simply that we are sending the demons away, but rather that, that the Holy Spirit would come and even Jesus himself would come and occupy the heart that was previously occupied by the devil and his false doctrine. So that when the demons come back and they knock on the door, it's the Holy Spirit who answers. And says, can I help you? <laughs> and the demons say, wrong address. <laughs> and they keep, and they keep going, see? So that, um, 
so that by being filled with the Holy Spirit and treasuring the Lord's word, uh, there's no place for the devil. Luther loved to talk about how God's word, and we've considered this in the last few weeks, God's word was like the fumigation for the devil. It drives him away so that there's no place uh, for him. Now, uh, to the gospel, or to the uh, lesson we heard tonight from Deuteronomy, the fifth book of Moses. And we remember that Deuteronomy means the second law. Uh, the whole book of Deuteronomy is really an extended sermon from Moses, who God was not going to let cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Moses had, had faithfully shepherded God's people for 40 uh, years through the wilderness. But then remember at the end that when the people are asking for water and God tells Moses to speak to the rock, Instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock with his staff in anger and frustration, presumably. And because of that, because of that sin, because of that act, God says to Moses, you won't enter into the promised land. You'll have to die in the wilderness like the rest of the people. So that God brings the people to the edge of the promised land, and Moses sets up a pulpit there in the wilderness, and he preaches this sermon to them before the angels carry him off and he dies somewhere, we don't know where, in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32, we're at the end of his sermon. And Moses is preaching law, and he's preaching gospel. He basically, he's looking back to how the people were, and he's looking forward to how the people will be, and he basically says this, the Lord is good, and you're rebellious, and the Lord is merciful. God loves you, you despise his love, God forgives you. But he starts out with this particularly mysterious verse 8, if you want to take a look. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. Now, that's a mysterious verse, and it'll be mysterious, even though I might suggest what Moses might be indicating, because the sons of God is a way that the Bible will often talk about the angels, the good angels and the fallen angels, the demons as well. In fact, one of the most beautiful texts is uh, at the end of the um, at the end of the book of Job, when uh, when God is talking about how Job was not there when He was creating the world, and He said that the sons of God were gathered around singing His praises as He created everything. Or at the beginning of Job, it says the sons of God were gathered to the Lord's throne room, and who came? All of the angels and the devil himself as well. Now, this verse seems to indicate that the nations of the world are bound up to an angel or to a demon or perhaps both in battle, something like this. And we get little hints about this in other places of the Scripture. Uh, for example, you remember when Daniel was in Babylon and he was praying. And he's praying and he's fasting and he's waiting for an answer from the Lord. And finally the angel comes, 10 days or 11 days later, something like this. He's fasting for a long time and the angel kind of shows up slightly breathless, and apologizes to Daniel for taking so long to get there. And he says, why? That he was, that as soon as Daniel prayed, the Lord dispatched the angel to bring the message to him, but that he was with, that he was withstood by the prince of Persia. Now this is a, a name for a demon, the prince of Persia. So that, so that there would be a demon called the Prince of Persia is indicated that there's a way that the different nations of the world have different spiritual, angelic, maybe demonic authorities attached to them. 
This angel sent to Daniel says that he, he stopped me and I couldn't get through until God sent Michael the archangel to, to fight with him and then a, may, a way was made for this angel to continue on his way to get down to Daniel. Now again, this is very, um, it's very mysterious, these things. It's, uh, we don't know exactly what's going on, but it seems like this is one of these spiritual realities that there's, that there's angels and demons connected to different places. But the reason why Moses brings it up is that he wants to contrast that reality with how it is with the Lord's people. Verse 9. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. It might be that all the other nations have an angel watching over them or some sort of spiritual authority looking after them, but not Israel. God looks after Israel himself. He is directly involved with his people. There's no intermediary, no angel, no other beings, God himself. And to demonstrate that, Moses is going to give a picture, in fact, three or four images that he's going to pile up here to show how the Lord cares directly for his people. Starting with verse 10, he, the Lord, found him, that is Israel, in a desert land, in the howling waste of wilderness, the howling you can think of the windiness today, you know. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing it, bearing them on, on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He, the Lord, made him, Israel, ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd, milk from the flock, fat of the lambs, rams of Bashan, and goats with the very finest of wheat, and you drank foaming wine, which is the good wine, from the blood of the grape. So that while all the other nations might have some some other being looking after them, the Lord's people have the Lord himself. You will be my people, and I will be your God, says the Lord. So we see that the Lord called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He was an idolater, and he, and he plucked him up, and he planted him in the land, and he says, you belong to me. And then when the people were down in Egypt, the Lord said, uh, you are my people, and I am your God. And he took them up in his hands and he carried them out through the Red Sea and into the wilderness and he took care of them. And he always is taking care of them. Moses says, remember that God takes care of you. Like a, like a, a mother eagle fluttering around with her little eaglets. Is that what baby eagles are called? Pushing them out of the net and then, a nest and then catching them before they fall. So the Lord takes care of you. Look at verse 15. But Jeserun grew fat and kicked. And so the people don't misunderstand who Jeserun is. He says, you grew fat, stout, sleek. He forsook the God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. Do you see that the Lord had, had gathered his people and he had, he had collected them. He had given them his word and his promises and his goodness and his life. All the other nations were handed over to darkness and death. 
to the demons, to the devil himself. But the Lord had his people. But what did the people do? They kicked God in the teeth. And they went looking for the foreign gods, for the idols of the nations. The picture that I use, I don't know if, the, I don't know if this is helpful or not. I, this is the only picture I have, but you know how sometimes you'll see the satellite pictures of the earth at night? And, uh, and you see where the people are because you see the light. So there's dark where the, in the wilderness and, you know, in the ocean and stuff. And then where the, where the cities are, there's, there's lights. So all the east coast is all lit up like this. The west coast is all lit up. And then you see the big cities and kind of some lines out there. The darkest place in the United States is, I understand the Gila wilderness down in southern New Mexico over by Arizona, where there's, when you look at, there's just dark, right? And you can kind of see where the people are and where they're not. Well, if you could imagine that picture, uh, to be a spiritual reality. And think that where the, the, where the devil rules is darkness and where the Lord's word is preached is light. Okay? A little, like, a little light there. And if you were to see the picture of how it was at this moment when Moses is preaching Deuteronomy chapter 32, then the entire world would be covered in darkness and there'd be a little pin of light right there on the side of the Jordan River. And then that little light would move across the Jordan River and it would march around the country and then it would expand and it would be, uh, and it would be a, a beam coming out of Jerusalem and Bethlehem and all the surrounding areas like this. But all of the rest of the nations would be simply black. So that the Lord's people were in the were in his light and all the nations were clouded in darkness. But what do the people do? Rather than rejoicing in the light, they go they go looking for the darkness. They go searching for the for the dark. They go tramping off to find sin. They worship the false gods. And then Moses is going to tell us, and this occurs two or three times in the Scripture, but this is probably one of the best places, that when they did that, when the people went to worship the idols, when they went and stood at the high places, when they went into the groves where they set up their altars, when they prayed to Baal or Ashtoreth or Dagon or all these other false gods, that they weren't simply praying to the false gods, but they were praying to the demons themselves. They stirred him, verse 16, they stirred him, the Lord, to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed, see, to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, who your fathers had never feared. So that the people, in every way, were chasing after not only the idols, but the demons who stood behind the idols. Now, we, we know then some of the demons' names. You know, we had to study them when we were going to school. We had to study, you know, Zeus and Mars and Apollo and, and all the, and the, and Ra and all the Egyptian gods and all the Babylonian gods and all this. We know that's behind them all are the demons, true demons, who are receiving the worship of the people in order to bring them into bondage, who are receiving the sacrifices of people in order to enslave them in death and who, who are drawing the people away from the Lord's mercy. Here's the big sin and the big condemnation in the last verse. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Now, 
I, I want to contrast this a little bit by asking the question, well, Pastor, it, uh, you know, here, here are all the people are worshiping and sacrificing to the demons. What about us? And how do we, how do we avoid the, the, the dangers of the demons? How do we stay out of this darkness? You remember this picture with the little tiny light shining in Jerusalem and the rest of the world is darkness? Well, something really incredible happens in the death of Jesus. If you remember, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70, and he sends them only, he says, go only to the, to the house of Israel, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't turn away. Only to the Jews. But then, only 18 chapters later, in Matthew 28, Jesus says something entirely different. He says, go unto all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens between Matthew chapter 10, when the gospel is only going to the Jews, and Matthew chapter 28, when the gospel is going to all the world? Well, what happens is the death and the resurrection of Jesus, in which the scriptures say the devil was defeated. His, the, the, the death grip that he has on the nations is broken. Hebrews says that he who, uh, uh, he partook of flesh and blood, just like the children did, so that in his death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So that the death of Jesus breaks the devil's hold on all of the nations. And now, beginning at Jerusalem and going to Judea and Samaria and into all the ends of the earth, this light of the gospel is is spreading everywhere. (laughs) So that you see that you, you see that the apostles, as they're spread throughout the world, are like little streams of light going over to India and Persia and, and over to Asia and Macedonia and Greece and Rome uh, and Europe and, and North Africa and all the way across the top and down the side and all throughout the world. The gospel is spreading out like light as the devil's kingdom is being broken. And that light continues to spread all the way, and I know you're not going to believe this, But that light continues to spread all the way to Aurora, Colorado. (laughs) And so that if you were to look at that map now, right on the corner of 13th and Macon, there would be a light shining. Straight from your own ears and your own hearts where the gospel lives. And And the rule of the devil has been broken. Now this is absolutely incredible. Because the same way that we are kept safe from the demons is the same thing that Moses preached to the people. He says, your danger is that you were unmindful of the rock that bore you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. But, dear saints, when we are mindful of the rock that gave birth to us, when we remember the God who gave us birth, when we rejoice that that God has baptized us and called us to be his own dear children and that he has promised to forgive us all of our sins, that he is the one who has given us the birth from above and adopted us into his family and planted his word into our hearts and constantly forgives our sins, then we are kept safe from the devil. For the Lord who loves you who died for you, he has called you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light in his Son. And this is our our great comfort and peace. The devil's reign has ended 
and the reign of Christ has come. In his crown of thorns, in his throne of the cross, in his rule of mercy, in his edict of forgiveness, you are in his kingdom and you are safe. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.